Hi, I'm Isabella. And I'm Jeff. We're two Asian Australians who want to explore what it means to be Asian in the West. And you're listening to As I Am. We are so privileged today to be sitting down with Maggie Joel. If you don't know her already or haven't seen her grace your Instagram feeds, she is a lifestyle and culture writer with a focus on sustainability and race. She is currently a writer and producer at Refinery29 Australia, a co-host of the Culture Club podcast, and her words have also been featured in publications such as Elle, Marie Claire, MTV Australia, Broadsheet, Beat Magazine, Shameless Podcast, After Work Drinks and Sauce. Hi Maggie, it is such an honour to see you here. How are you going today? I'm going super well, Isabella. Thank you so much for trolling through my LinkedIn. I'm going to guess I was very, <laughs> very detailed. I was like, very oh, no, good. <laughs> oh, I admire the research. I admire the research. And it is also actually really lovely to hear my last name technically pronounced correctly because I have, like many people, westernized, I guess, the pronunciation of my name. So I'm like, oh, that is my last name. Thank you. <laughs> oh, of course. People normally pronounce it Joel, Jow. Is that um, the general? Yeah. So I I do like also being called Maggie Zhao. And then I was talking to my mum about it recently because I was like, oh, I kind of feel icky about westernizing my name. But she's like, oh, no, actually in Cantonese, it's kind of similar to how we pronounce it as well. Yeah. Um, I don't speak Cantonese, but I'll take her word for it. Yeah. Well, you and I are quite similar. I feel like yeah. a lot of people get our surnames mixed up. Uh-huh. Sometimes I'll get Zoe, I'll get Joe, or I'll get something like that. But, you know, your mum's right. Like in Cantonese, it is very, very similar. Mm. So there we go. Well done, Isabella. Chinese lessons playing off. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I've been taking Chinese lessons. So oh, no, I'm glad this is finally <laughs> I've come to fruition. But anyways, um, would love to hear about everything about you and your life so far. Um, we want to start off, though, with kind of understanding, you know, your side as a fellow podcaster and your take on a few things. First of all, things about podcasting and what are your general thoughts on the future of podcasting as a medium for spreading information? Of course. So I do host uh, the pop culture podcast, Culture Club, as you kindly mentioned. I do that with one of my lovely friends, Jasmine Wallace. We started that in 2020. So like lockdown days, we were both, you know, stuck at home. We actually weren't very close when we started. And what happened was um, we were both pitching the same stories to publications. And she had this bright idea of being like, hang on, instead of competing, why not actually collaborate together? And that's where the podcast was born. To answer your question, my goodness, people do not tell you how much work goes into podcasts. So I I want (laughs) listeners of As I Am to like give Jeffrey and Isabella a round of applause because they put in so much work. Like honestly, people do not realize it seems like an easy thing that everyone wants to do with their best friend, like get in front of Mm -hmm. a mic and just talk crap essentially. But one of the misconceptions is I would say it takes a lot of work and we have help on the editing side and take away that already it's still heaps of labor and time involved but I also love it like how lucky are we that even right now we get to chat over video call 
face-to-face essentially and have these spiraling conversations that aren't, you know, just like a quick, oh, hey, how are you going? But no, we are sitting down. We are sitting down and unpacking things and communicating in a way that otherwise might not have been possible for us. Yeah, amazing. And I I just feel also one of those things where, like you said, it's so much easier said than done. Like Mm. Jeff and I have been trialing solo episodes. My goodness, they are so incredibly difficult. I had to do 10 takes. Um, But that's the thing, like it's such a privilege though to be able to be able to sit down in the space and talk it through with you. So no, it's so interesting to kind of talk to a fellow podcaster and actually understand, you know, what their side of things as well. Mm. Um, So thank you for indulging us. Of course. I mean, you also did mention what the future of podcasting might hold. And I find that really interesting because it's so random that it's so popular nowadays. I I don't Mm. know. I see, you know, we see the rise of TikTok and short form video content making waves and that feels understandable. We're like, yeah, like that's where we're moving into. But then seeing podcasts, which are predominantly long form audio based medium, also be super popular is really lovely because I think at the basis of all podcasts essentially it's storytelling and connection and aren't those beautiful universal themes right Mm. so I'm really keen to see how it goes especially with a lot of big celebrities also entering the field like what's gonna happen yeah we'll just have to wait and see I guess yeah I'm seeing a lot more niche podcasts come out so it's not just about all right we're gonna make a podcast about soccer It's going to be, we're going to make a podcast about soccer during the 80s in Latin America. It's getting like super duper niche. And I think that's great, right? It allows people to sort of talk to their expertise. They're super passionate about topics. And obviously that comes across in the podcasting. I think the more connected to the topic that you talk about, the more engaging it is to listen to. There is one concept I've heard of recently, though. It's called podcast brain. Um, so for people who have podcasts, you sort of go about your everyday lives and then you like make mental notes of things that you can you can talk about on the podcast or you do <laughs> things specifically to talk about it on a podcast. Do you find you have that at all? That's incredible. Uh, there Two things came to mind there, right? So sometimes me and my friend Jasmine will be chatting about something in our week and we're like, wait, save it for the podcast. And then yeah, we'll, exactly. we'll stop. <laughs> Save it for the airwaves. So that's definitely one thing that's happened. The other thing is I do think I've got content brain because I also work as a content creator on Instagram and TikTok predominantly. And my goodness, my brain is wired for like, okay, do I need to be documenting this? Do I need to be taking photos? Which can be really tiresome and bothersome. And it's something mm. I've, I've I've been grappling with, but oh, completely like everywhere I go, I'm like, should I be taking photos? But I guess that's definitely related uh, to podcasts too. Yeah, we always find that the things we talk about before the podcast mm. and then after the podcast, arguably better than what is said during the recording. <laughs> oh, um, I love that. And and that's that's always the annoying thing. So we'll finish the episode and be like, oh, how'd you find that? And then we'll like go into another conversation and you're like, shit, probably should have recorded that one. It's like, oh, I missed the points. Uh, so that that's always an annoying thing as well that happens and I guess people don't um, think about that when it comes to podcasting but you know just to move a little bit forward like in the topics that you write about extensively and one of them is fashion um, and in particular sort of around sustainability and inclusivity um, what are some of the big shifts that you're seeing in brands and sort of the shopping behaviors of consumers 
Completely. I love talking about fashion and not because I'm an expert. I'm far from one. I always say that I was just a consumer who had an interest in what I was wearing and where the clothes came from. And I think what's really interesting is that we're all part of the fashion system, whether we like it or not. If you're wearing clothes, you've made a choice. You made a choice of what you're wearing, where you purchase from and where your dollar, I guess, aligns um, with and what companies you align with. So that's why I find fashion so intriguing. And to get to your question, it's really interesting because again, because I don't have that expertise, I'm just, I'm just observing what's happening. And you're right. Mm. I love talking about sustainability. And I think, you know, we've had so many conversations recently about the fate of our planet, essentially. And our environment and I think that's why people are more willing to talk about fashion sustainability you know we look back a decade or so and the conversation was very niche it was very left of field it was like hippies wearing white linen and you know drinking coconut water like that that was kind of the poster child of fashion sustainability but now it is a bit more mainstream Big brands are talking about it. Styles of sustainability like vary a lot. There's not one way that sustainability looks like, which mm. I think is really exciting. So yes, there's been a lot of talk about renewable like fibers, regenerative fibers, which means like fibers that actually, I guess, help the soil and nourish the soil that it comes from. So we're not just taking from our earth, but we are actually helping it. But one area that I am endlessly fascinated by and I think is so important when we're talking about this is human sustainability. So we're looking at our workers and garment workers' mm. rights and payment of living wages. Like, I don't know, there's this something to me that is confusing when we're so worried about the future of our planet and our, you know, our generations to come and our grandchildren to come people who don't exist yet but we sometimes don't grapple with like the livelihoods of people on our earth already like look at these garment workers 80 percent are women these are usually you know women of color why we're not caring for them like i have a vested interest in caring for their livelihoods too Mm. But do you think brands these days are making that conscious effort to pivot towards, I guess, firstly, transparency when it comes to outlining their production process? But secondly, I guess, to have that transparency, actually have production processes in place are ethical. I guess like the main thing about, I guess, why I think fashion still proliferates is accessibility, mm. right? Like people mm. can afford cheap clothes, the opportunity cost of buying, I guess, ethically produced clothes comes at a high price do you think accessible brands will make it easier to buy clothes that are ethically produced um I feel it's a very twofold question but I'd love to hear your thoughts on whether or not we're able to actually pivot to a world where clothes are ethically made in a way that is accessible yeah Oh, I love these questions. Um, honestly, I could talk about it for days, but I won't. Look, there are so many things there and I want to first and foremost so agree with you, right? Fast fashion has a definite place in our society because it is accessible to many. I also am very cynical. So you're right, big corporations are trying to enter these sustainability conversations. A lot of the time, this takes the form of greenwashing. So they're mm. implementing marketing techniques to make them seem more eco-friendly than they actually are. That could look like, you know, releasing a quote-unquote eco collection with like recycled polyester, which is plastic. Um, and that could just make up, you know, whatever, 5% of their entire collection and that doesn't change the rest of their business practices. I think 
corporations know that being sustainable or looking sustainable is good business. You know, what makes me so upset is if they're not doing it properly, they are preying off consumers' fear for like our planet and like our our willingness and good values of wanting to to do the right thing. And they're kind mm. of exploiting that, that kind of fear or that, I guess, beliefs that are held um, within us. But to get to your other point, right? It's like, okay, let's be realistic here. It's easy to talk about these big things, but okay, what will actually happen? And I personally think we can all do little things and businesses can do little things that are more sustainable without having to, I guess, redo their entire business model. So for instance, as a consumer, I always prioritize buying natural fibers like cotton, hemp, um, linen, bamboo, things that biodegrade themselves and look you can get that from fast fashion brands as well Um, and also just being conscious and being mindful about what we're buying and how much we're buying again Mm. i'm not saying for people to stop buying fast fashion but let's say you find yourself buying four new fast fashion dresses each month maybe reconsider and buy one or something like that it can just be small things Mm. like that too one of my um, favorite things that you posted was the thing that you put up recently around Black Friday sales is like, would yeah. you buy it if it was on sale? And that really stopped me in my tracks because I was, I am notorious for just waiting for things to go on sale or <laughs> going on a website and sorting price low to high because in some ways I'm more focused on the price than the piece of clothing itself. And I think that mentality can obviously lead to people purchasing more than they need, which over the short to medium term creates more waste. And so just like stuff like that. So I think I'm seeing fewer small brands participate in Black Friday sales this Mm -hmm. year. And obviously on the larger end, they're sort of extending it to Cyber Monday. And then it's like 24 hours longer, 24 hours longer, 24 hours longer. So it's cool to see that there is this slight shift and this greater awareness because yeah, I really want to sort of revisit my shopping habits because of that, because I probably should be thinking a bit more about whether or not I should buy this just because it's on sale or not. So that was a great post. I really appreciate that. I learned something. Thank you. It's so tricky. Like growing up, especially like in an immigrant household, I used to think $20 for a t-shirt was outrageously expensive. Like Mm. it has been a complete 180 for me to revisit all my thoughts about fashion and build them up from scratch. Because I think sometimes it's like we ask and it's true. And I want to come from a place like, yes, I have a full-time job. Like I have security and money, but it's like, I used to always ask the question, like, why are sustainable brands so expensive? But my mindset had now switched and uh, now I'm like, but why are fast fashion clothes so cheap? Like mm. someone else is carrying the cost of that if it's not you. But yeah, it is a hard one. Hey, I'm yeah. not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. And it does. it's not an overnight switch either. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Honestly, I just want to do an offshoot episode, just <laughs> solely tackling this topic because it is so interesting. And I think there's so many layers to it, but let's shift the focus to you, Maggie, because you are endlessly fascinating. And uh, we're so curious to hear more about kind of your career and how you've gotten to where you are now. So I guess you've often referred to yourself as a multi-hyphenate given the broad range of things that you do. I'm just curious to understand what this term means to you and why you chose to go down this career path versus something more quote unquote traditional. 
Yeah. I mean, as a Gen Z, I am like infinitely indecisive. So that's probably <laughs> why I lean towards a label that is essentially label-less, right? Mm-hmm. So multi-hyphenate or slushy, whatever you want to call it. I use that term a bit because, you know, I wear a lot of hats in media. So predominantly, I would say my main thing is writing. I love writing a lot. But yes, I also am a podcaster. I occasionally speak. I like speak at events, not just speak regularly. Um, I also create content for socials, record videos, photograph, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's kind of nice not being able to just have that urgency or pressure to label yourself as one thing. I think, especially growing up, I just found myself interested in so much. Like I never knew technically what I wanted to be when I grew up or anything because I I just wanted to do everything and that's why I think I was leaning more into that and I also do think from a more like logical point of view as well media industry in Australia is pretty hard to crack into and just and just being able to diversify your trade there is also helpful so that's the business side of that but you also did ask like you know why am I pursuing that potentially over something that's more traditional And it's just where my interests lie. If I'm just being completely frank and just like that, that's essentially it. In high school, I always lent towards English, media, studio arts. Um, And I was really lucky that my parents were like, yeah, like they could see I worked hard. I, I was a very academic kid, but they had belief that I would pull through in the creative arts as well, which is really lovely. I know we, we see a lot of stereotypes around tiger parents and stuff. And my parents are very strict in other ways. Um, but I think having that belief system and support behind me was nice because it's like, oh, yeah, I could do this. Like, potentially I can pursue writing and whatnot. Mm. I really I really relate to that because I feel like the reason why, you know, we do something like As I Am and we have all these other ventures is outside of our traditional career paths is because it's like almost like a distraction. It like lets us forget that we're not necessarily doing the thing that we like always want to do. Um, so like both of us are in sort of corporate traditional paths and obviously our parents are quite happy with that, but <laughs> there is this sensation that we're always like, we should just do it. We should just do it. We should just do it. But I think the learned desire for security that we've gotten from our parents is really tough to, to break away from. Um, so it's really nice to hear that, you know, your parents are super supportive and they knew that you could find success in, in a more creative field. You know, one of these days, Isabella, we're going to do it. We're just I gonna, think we should. We're, we're going to take it. As I Am full-time. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I guess based on your intro as well, you've obviously had a super prolific career in Australian media. From your perspective of being an insider, how do you think the landscape has changed and in what ways do you hope it's going to change? Yeah, you are right. Like I am super green to the space. So I'm 23 now and I probably entered the industry when I was around 19. So it's only been, you know, four years. And in that time I've freelanced, I've interned at different places and I've worked in-house at different publications. So I've, I've had little toes in. I just want to make clear that I have not been in the space that long, but what I have seen is a lot of change and people who I've worked with who have worked in the industry much longer they they always cite that it's so different people I like so different to what media used to be I think 
I wanted to become a writer. I wanted to work in magazines from watching movies like Devil Wears Prada. If I'm just being straight off. (laughs) So I'm being really honest right now. That was the goal. And unfortunately, it has changed a lot. So for instance, there's been a big pivot to digital media. But as somebody who has grown up with like social media in my back pocket at all times, I think I got Twitter when I was like 11 and I got Tumblr, the blogging site soon after that um Mm. it has been really natural for me i guess and it's something that i've kind of embraced i'm like okay like i already spend so much time on instagram like why not make a job out of this kind of thing so i do think there's a big shift in terms of digital i also do hope that throughout all our conversations inclusivity and diversity is actually being championed and i do think it is like i think we all know that diverse viewpoints and voices are beneficial to everybody and it's really lovely at my position at refinery 29 australia right now i'm in a team of predominantly women of color it's been amazing to have that experience in media and especially to be frank in australian media it's very whitewashed so i'm hoping that this isn't the exception to the rule but it's something that's going to be the norm like people always say that australia is about 20 years behind the uk and the us in terms of practices like these so i'm hoping that yep let's just catch up come on i think we're all i'm just waiting like we're all we're all bored of what has been and i think there's like a clear appetite as well like i guess beyond like the important reason of why we should champion diversity and inclusion that I think there also is a really tangible business case to be made about it as well Um, but I'm curious though like how do you know when you've like made it in the media industry or are you still like on that journey like (laughs) is is there a threshold and I guess also related to that question is like at what point did you realize you could monetize your content on Instagram like was it a certain number of followers was it the certain number of traction. Like, I'm curious to understand how that works. That'll lead to my next question after this, but yeah, kind of be curious to understand how that operates now. I love this. I mean, how do you know when you have made it? Like, where do you become Miranda Priestley from Devil Wears Prada? <laughs> like, when do you have your assistant Andy come to your house with dry cleaning and then just, and then, exactly. okay, we're just going to the plot of that movie. Um, that is so interesting. I feel like there are, there are definitely those, like, career highlights in media that, I mean, to mirror corporate life as well. You know, you want to become the editor, the managing editor, all those kind of titles. And if I'm being honest, I mean, this kind of relates to your question, but I'm a very ambitious person. I do think that's like a big personality trait of mine. But from the past few years, because of COVID and all that, I've really reevaluated my values and goals in life. And I used to be so driven by career and now I'm not like at Mm. all, like my goodness, I've poured so much of myself to build up this career. And then I reached this point where like I got my dream like job at a company and this aside, like I love the job. I love what I do. But even that, like I was like, oh, this doesn't fulfill me. Like this, this can't bring me the happiness and contentment I always thought it would be. So I was like, hang on, Mm. why am I doing this? Obviously I still love what I do and I love writing, but I now know that that's not what I personally want out of life so it's so interesting you're talking about like when have you when will you make it like what are your goals like I I don't know anymore I'm prioritizing a bit more rest I'm prioritizing spending time with myself which is very lucky for me to be able to do I guess yeah I'm just no I I I love that I feel like a silver lining from COVID definitely was a paradigm Mm -hmm. shift where 
work wasn't as prioritized or at least I think the value system especially for young generations and you know our generation very much was like you know what fuck this like yeah. rest shouldn't be radical we should have the time to just be and enjoy do things that we enjoy and I think that very much is mentality funnily enough like I'm about to enter the industry and yet I'm like fuck work like fuck capitalism yeah you know like I'm at the moment I'm traveling having a great time yeah. so I think it'll be interesting to kind of maintain that perspective once I do start mm. full-time work I might have to revisit this episode and listen to it when I'm like in the trenches you know yeah exactly <laughs> but my point is like it's so cool to kind of see this paradigm shift and not just that be like a one-off like I, I consistently hear this remarked across my friends my colleagues and I hope that that persists like mm. in future generations because it, it, it is true like I, I don't think work should be the product of anyone's life like we shouldn't live to work you know yeah. Um, and a lot of that that's taken hold in the mainstream. I think, um, Maggie, you and I have had very similar experiences over mm. the last few years because, yeah, similar to you, I've sort of been in a career that I always wanted to be in. I thought it was going to be something that would, you know, fulfill me and it would give me the skills that I want. But I think lately, more and more, I've felt this like sensation of an insert DJ Khaled meme suffering from success <laughs> where you sort of like tick off these milestones mm. and you just feel empty and blank, which yeah. is I know is a quite a privileged thing to talk about, but I'm really realizing that my ambition to tick off career milestones does not necessarily equal life satisfaction. Um, and so I'm in this weird crossroads where I'm trying to work out like, what do I actually want to do? do right and it's this tension between doing something that's safe but doing something that's truly fulfilling that i'm trying to really work out at the moment so it's it's interesting to hear like your perspective as well on it i think you know how do you go about having those conversations with yourself like is it a i just need to do what feels right or are you sort of considering external factors as well it's such a tough one like even being able to verbalize these thoughts, there's an element of guilt that I still have. 100%. Huge <laughs> guilt. Huge guilt. So That's much the thing. guilt. That's the thing that kills me is like the, the guilt factor where you're thinking, I should not be having these thoughts because I'm super privileged to be in this mm -hmm. position. But mm -hmm. yeah. So it's it's a bit of that, right? So guilt on, okay, should I even be thinking about this? Then there's also kind of letting go of expectation from your former self. And it's like, okay, but you know, younger Maggie work towards this. Isn't that what you want? And then, of course, I think the the trifecta fold of having, um, you know, immigrant parents and being like, okay, like, you know, the, the same old story, but, you know, they gave up everything so I could have my life. But what if? I think it, there's a lot of fear, right? And as someone who, like, I mean, so, so many of us, but um, as someone with anxiety, like these are thoughts that are constantly like ricocheting through my head day on day. But the thing is like, I am also a Pisces, um, so horoscope. <laughs> Sorry, this will relate. This will relate. Um, so I, oh my god, I can't believe I brought that up. But um, no, I love that so much. <laughs> I also do think I'm like I'm a romantic. I'm also very sensitive. Like I am someone who has always like romanticized the little moments in life. Like I will take a walk down my street and I'll be like oh my God, like these leaves are falling down so beautifully. Or like, oh my God, like look at the cloud there. Like there is, there's so much beauty to literally be found in each day. And that 
is such a big part of fulfillment and satisfaction for me. And that is like worlds away from like what I do at my desk all day. Like they don't have to be the same thing. And I feel like even if you're living out your dream life with your dream career, it's like you're still living in your life day to day. You're still the one taking walks down the streets. Like, okay, but what are you going to notice during those walks? Like, I don't know. There's something about like you are the one living in your body all the time. Like, it's, it's like a perspective shift almost. I don't, I don't know, Jeff, like this is a thing. I, these are big conversations and they're sometimes really hard to grapple with. So I think I sometimes consciously don't. <laughs> yeah. It's like the save it for later, future me yes. can deal with it. And then it kind of like gets a little bit stronger. And each time you sort of face it, you're like, Hey, you're a lot bigger than I saw you last time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a bit scarier and back in the closet you go. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So I just wanted to quickly touch back on something you mentioned before, Maggie, that I want to expand on. Um, And I guess what you said about having a content wide brain in the sense that everything you see, you feel like you need a document or everything you Mm -hmm. see, you feel like you could monetize in some way. Um, And I guess that just relates to my curiosity in general of just understanding the influence industry. In your kind of take, like how do you balance authenticity mm. on social media with the genuine need to commodify your online entity? You know, this very much is a very real industry that actually, you know, is a lifestyle for a lot of people. And I'm just curious to understand how you navigate this tension between, you know, wanting to be your real authentic self, but also mm. being wary of, you know, sponsored ads and having to actually make money. Yeah, there's so much to this one, right? So I have actually been on Instagram for almost a decade. Like I started in year nine in high school when everyone else was getting it. But since then I had been posting, let's say like weekly outfit photos and I was, um, I wasn't just using it as a personal account. So I have been on the app for a long time. And one thing I really prided myself on was being authentic, if I'm being honest, right? I would meet some people and they would be like, oh, you're like exactly the same in person as you are online. And I would take so much pride in that because I'm like yes I do want to be authentic online and I wanted to portray myself as realistically as possible that was kind of until maybe a year or two ago that kind of shifted for me because what I found was that I was putting so much of myself online that I almost didn't save anything for me offline like I shared so much of my personal life and and I talked to the camera every day and and that's all really natural for me that never felt forced like I do view my like community online as um as friends of sorts I understand it's a parasocial relationship but you know I I feel very comfortable there I'm very lucky to have people who follow me who are really lovely um but there came a time where I was like "Mm, I don't know if I want to share as much as I share that also coincided with writing during that time I was writing a lot of like more personal even like race centered pieces and I was just like I need a breather from all this so now I I would still pride myself on being you know pretty similar online and in person but it's also like I'm very happy to conceal or just keep some things to myself you also mentioned you know that tension with sponsored ads and making a living out of a platform and that is endlessly difficult right but I think I'm embracing that as a growing adult I hold a lot of contradictions myself I'm learning so many things about myself I know I'm not going to be perfect online so I always try to you know I guess enter sponsorships in a like respectable way where I'm like okay does this brand align with me 
Is it truly something that I want to share with my audience? Should I be doing this? And it's really hard when sometimes the money is really good and you're like, well, should I just do this for the money? Like it's, it's a very hard tension pool of values and finance and how you're perceived online and all that. And I think, I don't know, I'm going to stuff up. I've stuffed up quite a few times where I've worked with a brand that really doesn't align with my values. And I had no idea until I had a couple followers pull me up on it and be like, hey, did you know this company is owned by XYZ? And that's actually stopped me from working with them again or really like helped me, I guess, become a better person in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like call out culture and all that. Do you as an influencer have this specter Mm. of like or this fear of being cancelled? And that's the thing. Like I want to make a clear distinction between like accountability, which I think is really Mm. important. And I I love the fact that often, you know, fans of content creators like do hold their content creators accountable. And I think that's an excellent thing. Uh, But I'm curious to understand what it's like on your side. Like are are you constantly in fear of being cancelled and do you constantly kind of police your actions in case things get called out on if that makes sense no I know what you mean honestly I'm like such a small baby account that I don't live in fear of being cancelled but I definitely do have to think twice about what I post whether that's opinions on political issues or current affairs I'm like okay like do I really want to put my name to this because you're you're right. Like these things can exist forever on the internet. I am cautious about that. Look, I think around 2020, again, this is when we're all at home, like hardcore on our phones all day. I was very outspoken, more outspoken about fashion sustainability. And I would, I would almost pick fights with brands. If I'm being honest, a lot of the time I was sliding into their DMs like, yeah, my intention was good. Like I want to find out about their ethics and what they're doing, but I was so just combative and I was like, okay. And I really had to change kind of my method there because I was like, this is not conducive to a productive conversation. And what I actually want is to have productive conversations with brands or perhaps people who are, um, who need to be held accountable or, you know, might I might want to call like pull them up on something um and I just do think that the internet sometimes is not a great place for that and we have to remind ourselves that let's talk to people not like we talk about them on twitter like where that's just hate vitriol speak but let's actually like remember that there are humans behind keyboards okay and I just like to I'd like to clarify I was not sending hate to Rand I was just, being <laughs> I was just like well, let me backtrack before I'm cancelled <laughs> no um yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. Actually, before I ask my next question, neither Isabella or I are on Twitter. Mm-hmm. What is the selling point of Twitter? I still don't quite understand the value proposition of Twitter. Yeah. Let's let's assume like pre-Elon Musk days. What was the appeal of Twitter? That's actually a very good point. And I should think about that more. But honestly, if I'm being honest, I liked it for the funny tweets. Okay. And then it's nice to see, like, I would say the Australian media community is, has quite a strong presence there. So it's, it's nice to, I guess, spy on it. <laughs> like I'm not involved. I would just watch. And then if I'm being really honest, the heyday of Twitter for me was about 2012. And that's when I was personally on One Direction Twitter. So if you're a part oh of gosh. a fandom... It can be really beautiful and find a community. But honestly, Jeff, you're not missing out on much. Honestly, I should delete the bloody app. Like it, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't add much to my life if I'm being honest. Yeah, that's fair. I'm uh 
I'm big on Reddit. Mm. And, you know, one thing that I've noticed uh, a lot of people moving towards from a even a search engine perspective is adding Reddit to the end of every Google search that you make because the opinions you get from Reddit are oftentimes much better than what you get from like website sources. Because a lot of the time on websites, they're sponsored by a product or they're trying to push something on you. But Reddit, you truly get some absolute crap but you also get some of the most amazing responses especially on like product reviews or like love services it. love reddit um but my my sort of question to you back on the sort of balancing authenticity in the finance front is um we have a pretty strict stance on sponsorship in that we don't really take it on for for those reasons so nothing is really truly i guess appealed to us as a, a brand but obviously after nearly three years, we've invested quite a lot of money into it. It is a passion hobby and we'll continue to do that. But we also have to consider sort of like the long-term financial longevity of As I Am. Um, what are some tips that you could sort of share with us and our audience around whether or not you decide to take on a sponsor or some sort of collaboration? I would say that I think influencing and making money of content is almost like a dirty term. Like people try to distance themselves from it. Like mm. And I think that's a big reason why people don't explicitly talk about the actual process that much. But I would like to like push back on that rhetoric a lot of the time. Um, and I'm not saying that you're saying this at all, but like this work is also valid. We sell our labor at work. If you're working a corporate job, if you're working in hospitality, if you're working in a creative field, like you are literally like that is your body and your skills and your mind and your hands doing labor. That is you like selling parts of yourself. I know that sounds really clinical or like quite inhumane, mm. but I, like I, when I look at it that way, I'm like, okay, but like what's the difference with influencing as well? Like, yes, it's a lot of the time it's your face or your values or you as brand that's up for sale, but like we're all doing that in some ways in our life, I would argue. Mm. Um, but to get to your actual question, look, I think, again, this is a Pisces trait, but I would say like actually listen to that gut feeling because if it's not a hell yes, then it's probably like a polite no, right? If you've got a weird feeling about this brand, which I really admire both of you being able to be steadfast in your values because I think it can be so hard when, you know, you're faced with a nice proposition of money. So yeah, gut feeling is a big one doing your research about a brand, like taking the time for me personally, I Google brand name problematic. <laughs> <laughs> Just to vet them. Um, look, from a fashion point of view, I'd love to share a resource called Good On You, which is an Australian startup. They have ugh, the best directory online um, where they really vet brands properly and they're a third-party auditor, which I really just – it cuts through the bullshit of a brand's like about page a lot of the time. Mm. So that's something else I'll use. Love that. Like, yeah, I personally like how people, like we all have different values and that's something to be applauded. So for instance, I have a friend who also does content creation and for her, it's looking at the, like the people of color working behind the scenes and she'll check and vet that if that's in place and she's not just like a token diversity play. So like listen to, to you and what's important to you and put those values in effect if you can. Yeah. Love that. Great tips. Great tips. Really appreciate that. Maggie, we've only got one more question left. Um, 
anything else that you'd like to talk about otherwise we'll go into the last question and then we'll wrap this one up it's been an awesome combo time has flown by I just, awesome. I just, yeah, I thank you i like how we've just bite like you know talked about everything oh everything but, yeah. under the always yeah. <laughs> awesome all right let's get into the last one then so um last question for you maggie what's next um are you able to let us in on any sort of exciting projects or ventures that you can share with the audience that you're currently working on well um jasmine and i for our culture club podcast will actually have a random live podcast session at beyond the valley festival which oh, is over so here. Oh my God. i know that's amazing <laughs> it's happening so Congrats. soon and i'm like i can't oh believe God. it that's awesome <laughs> So if anyone is there um, on New Year's Eve, we'll have a slot in the daytime. Come join us. Apparently there's beanbags. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Apart from that, you can find me on Instagram at Y-E-M-A-G-Z or TikTok at Maggie underscore Zhao. And honestly, I hope 2023 brings like rest and relaxation. So hopefully you'll see me reading more, relaxing more going on walks you know it but apart from that like that that's literally it i hope everyone can take this time to unclench their jaw relax their shoulders and take a couple deep breaths as well wow very wellness (laughs) (laughs) gwyneth paltrow who (laughs) do we even need an outro that seemed like a really good way to end the podcast Oh my gosh, Maggie, it has been truly a delight to have you on. Um, I feel like I've we've canvassed so many things and we've spoken so eloquently and in a, such a nuanced way with all these different topics. And I honestly can't wait to share to our listeners this episode. And thank you so much again for taking the time to sit down with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I've loved being on. So appreciate you having me. Thanks so much, Maggie. And obviously, go follow Mags, uh, go follow all her socials, listen to the podcast. Um, but if you did enjoy this episode, let us know what you think. Give us five stars wherever you get your podcast and we'll catch you guys in the next episode. See you later. Bye. Bye.